Welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, so today I want to talk to you about good news and the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do is talk about um, Isaiah chapter 61 and also Luke chapter 4. Some of you may remember that uh, very near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he um, quoted Isaiah chapter 61. He quoted that in the synagogue at Nazareth. And uh, so we're going to examine that passage in Isaiah 61 and try to draw some amazing and wonderful things. And I'll try to be brief and amazing. All right, so hang on to your hats. So right now, you know, does anybody know what days we're in right now? Anybody know? The days of awe, exactly right. Yamim noraim. So what are the days of awe? Well, in Jewish tradition, it's the time, like, for example, this past, I think it was Sunday night, was the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, right? The, the Jewish New Year. And, um, and the, the words Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. And, it was, and uh, so it was their New Year, so to speak. And so uh, that, that is uh, spoken about in the Bible. It doesn't say a whole lot, and it doesn't tell you how to celebrate it or anything else, really. It just mentions it in a couple of passages, and there it is, you know? And uh, then... Following Rosh Hashanah in Jewish tradition, we have 10 days of awe. 10 days of awe is a time of examination. Uh, in Jewish tradition, it's a time of examination where you, uh, where the Lord, by Jewish tradition, right? Not by biblical things, but by Jewish tradition, where the Lord's examining your life and your heart and determining whether or not you're going to continue in his book of life, right? And so 10 days of awe is a time of repentance, a time of, of seeking the Lord, leading up to the Day of Atonement, right, which was a big day in uh, the Old Testament calendar, right? And uh, this is where once a year the high priest would go into the holy place and offer uh, the blood of the sacrifice in order to provide for the cleansing of the sins for all of the people of Israel. So it leads up. So these days are the days of awe. You know, and while that's just in Jewish tradition, it's probably good that we repent, amen, and ask God to cleanse our hearts and our minds. And uh, it's always a good practice to humble ourselves before the Lord, amen? So today, you know, I had an interesting experience, um, several actually, uh, one of my experiences was when I was about to leave to go to the hospital to do uh, pastoral work to see Coach Smith before he had his surgery this morning, my car wouldn't start. And so I was going, oh, goodness, what am I going to do? Because my wife had already gone to work, left me. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, so I was going, what am I going to do? So I noticed that my neighbor... Bless his heart, he was out driving around in his pickup chasing after his little, little tiny dog that has a wandering heart. And uh, so he chased him down the street and he opened the door and he kind of moved his hand like that and that little dog trotted all the way home, good dog that he is. 
And uh, so then I flagged down my neighbor and said, hey, could you give me a, a boost on my car? And, and, um, and so he did. And, and uh, while we're just connecting things and stuff like that, all, suddenly he just breaks down and weeps. He's weeping. And he says, I really need prayer. I thought, well... You know, Lord, I love these serendipitous moments. You know, I love these moments of opportunity. You just never know. We have to look for God, you know, and wait and see what he's going to do, right? It's encouraging. And so I prayed with him, and we talked some more. And after it was all said and done, he looked at me and said, I feel better. So I thank God for that opportunity. Amen. So... I love the context of Isaiah 61, which is what Jesus quotes in Luke 4. Isaiah is amazing. It's an amazing book. How many of you like the book of Isaiah? I mean, it just resonates so much in my heart. And uh, in leading up to Isaiah 61, chapters 58 through 60, they basically have a call to repentance in Isaiah 58 through 60, almost like we're in the days of all, right? A call to repentance and then a promise of salvation if they repent and change their ways. Isaiah 59, 14, we could just look at that kind of briefly, just for a second. I was struck by how much it seems to sort of like talking about the status of our country and perhaps others. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Of course, a prophecy of Jesus. Amen. And of the Messiah. This is the context that we find For Isaiah chapter 61, of course, 60 starts out, arise, you know, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So Jesus uh, began his ministry when he was about 30 years of age. According to Luke 23, that's about how old he was. And that was around, somewhere around, A.D. 28, Luke 4, 1 tells us that Jesus had returned from his baptism in Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. So my theme tonight is good news and the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, as we know, at the baptism of Jesus, descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And he was praying when that happened. So he is full of the Holy Spirit, and after Jesus returns from Jordan, the Holy Spirit then led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasted and was subject to temptation by the devil. The Spirit of God does not always lead you into easy places. Here we have the testimony that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. 
Mark says he drove him into the wilderness. So the devil's temptation dialogue that he had with Jesus is very reminiscent of his dialogue with Adam and Eve in the garden because the same three temptations that the devil used in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve are the same three that he used with Jesus. And they're also the same three referred to in 1 John, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So the devil doesn't change his ways. The 40 days in the wilderness that Jesus spent during the temptation time reminds us of Israel's wandering of 40 years in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt. Jesus had returned from Egypt after Herod died, and Hosea 11, in a prophecy about Jesus, really about the Messiah, a messianic prophecy, but also a prophecy in its initial fulfillment to do with Isaiah. I'm sorry, to do with Israel. But Hosea 11 says that God called his son out of Egypt, his son Israel, and by implication, his son the Messiah. So then after successfully resisting the devil and enduring the trial, Luke tells us in chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So he goes back up in the northern regions where he loved to be. He was becoming widely known, and he was teaching in all the synagogues, and the Bible says he was being, Luke says he was being glorified by all. So he's growing and rising in popularity. And Jesus goes into the synagogue at Nazareth, and he stood up to read the scroll of Isaiah the prophet that was given to him. And Luke has Jesus reading from Isaiah chapter 61. And we're going to read it in a minute. And uh, he's reading, actually, Luke is quoting, that, saying that Jesus is reading from the Greek version of the Old Testament with a few minor changes rather than the Hebrew text. But nonetheless, the text is essentially the same. So Jesus declares he has a royal proclamation. He makes a royal proclamation and a priestly assignment. And the royal proclamation and the priestly assignment are exactly what we're called to do because in some sense we're called to rule and reign with Christ and we are kings, a kingdom of priests, right? Priests who rule, right? And we offer up not natural sacrifices in the church anymore, but spiritual sacrifices, which are sacrifices of praise and sacrifices of of helping the poor, their service to people. So there are two main verbs in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. And if you want to turn there, or they'll show it up on the screen here. And the two main verbs that, have, that occur at the beginning are anointed. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To bring good news to the poor, he has sent me. So everybody say the word anointed. anointed. So Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then he's given a task. He's sent to do something. This is our task as well. 
to be anointed, which is the word from which we get Messiah from, Meshach, is to be given a kingly, priestly task. There were only three types of people that carried the official anointing in the Old Testament. They were prophets, priests, and kings. We ourselves in the New Covenant era are to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he comes upon us because he anoints us to bring good news, and he sends us, right? So Jesus is the king, priest, and prophet, and believers in Jesus are called to be a royal, a kingly priesthood. And in Revelation chapter 1, we're called a kingdom of priests, which is the exact language that's used in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, that God called all the nation of Israel to. You will be to me a kingdom of priests, right? So thematically, the story carries all the way through from old to new. So I'm just laying a little groundwork. One scholar, Christopher Wright, calls what Jesus does in the synagogue at Nazareth, he calls it the Nazareth Manifesto, which is announcing the start of Jesus' ministry. It is announcing good news. In fact, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, uses the same Greek word as the New Testament, which means to bring good news, to bring the gospel to announce a gospel, good news. And so we go to the text now in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress, a turban instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Now, of course, Jesus didn't quote the entire passage, and in fact, just called it the year of the Lord's favor, and did not continue because it was not the time and is not the time for the day of vengeance of our God, right? So notice the difference. There's a year of God's favor, which we liken to the age of grace that we're in now, and the day of vengeance of our God, which we liken to the day of judgment. So a day of vengeance at the last day when the Lord judges, but we have the year, in other words, a great time of grace where people can come and get right with God and come to Jesus. Amen. Now the word opening of the prison to those, it really means a release. And this is the same word that's used in Leviticus 25. In Leviticus 25, this is the year of jubilee, the year of release to the captives. God's time of restoration is in fact the time of salvation. Amen. In Jesus. Now notice in verse 3 it says, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. 
the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. There are three insteads, right? Three things that are switched around. One is taken off and another one is put on, so to speak. Isaiah is an amazing book. The chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles are, of course, not part of the original text. They're not inspired. So let me encourage you, when you read your Bible, go past the end of the chapter and don't stop at a verse and thinking the thought is done. Chapter and verse divisions are not inspired, right? They're just there to help us find the correct place that we want to go to, right? But nonetheless... Whenever they did put the chapter and verse divisions in, they were pretty, pretty smart. And pretty smart considering it was around uh, 1225 in the Middle Ages. Stephen Langton was an archbishop of Canterbury. And he divided Isaiah into 66 chapters, as far as we know. And chapters 1 through 39, how many books in the Old Testament? Anybody know? find the rock class knows 39 chapters in the old Testament. sorry 39 books that was the error of my question how many books in the old testament 39 so when you read isaiah 1 through 39 you're essentially getting an encapsulation of the basic ideas in the first 39 chapters right but then chapter 40 starts with comfort ye right comfort my people I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Who is that? That's John the Baptist. So it's like the New Covenant era is reflected from chapter 40 all the way through 66, which very much echoes the language of the end of the book of Revelation. So these guys weren't totally ignorant when they had verse divisions. Beautiful language. So the good news announces that the Lord will bring a total reversal with his arrival. He will bring, in Isaiah, in the previous passages, he will bring deliverance in economic, political, physical, social realms. Basically, every aspect of life the Lord's going to affect. So many good things to say there. So Isaiah 61, and Jesus quoting it, Beginning his ministry, he first elucidates the effects of sin. So let's look at the effects of sin made plain in our passage. He talks about the poor, both economically and and poor as far as like in poverty of righteousness, perhaps. He talks about the brokenhearted. He talks about people being captive, prisoners. He talks about them being bound and mourning. He talks about having ashes left over, like there's nothing left. You're broken. You're shattered. Your useless dreams have just been burned up on the altars of whatever idol you happen to be worshiping in your life. And a faint spirit, a weak spirit that's it's, it's about to give up. But then, the same time, Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some hope. Aren't you glad he doesn't just leave us down in the mully grubs, right? 
And so he talks about the answers of hope are provided. Good news. Good news. The word gospel, actually. Binding up. Proclaiming liberty. Opening the prison. A proclamation of favor. The year of jubilee. The day of vengeance where justice will finally come to the foreground and ultimate justice will be wrought by the, the hand, the merciful hand and the, and the righteous and the holy hand of God. Where those who have been mistreated unjustly, God will make sure they get their recompense. Amen. Comfort for the morning. A gift of a beautiful headdress. This is the kingly priestly turban. Or the bridegroom's turban. It was, it was, a turban was worn by mostly by kings and by priests and by bridegrooms. Never by someone in mourning. The oil of gladness. The garment of praise. And a new identity. He said they're going to be called by something else. They're going to be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. They have a purpose. They're setting down roots. They're going to bring forth fruit. They're oaks of righteousness. That's a beautiful picture. Isaiah's masterful in it, isn't he? The interesting thing about also what Isaiah writes, we find a couple of interesting things in, in Hebrew. So, most Hebrew roots consist of three letters. Everybody say three letters. All right. So when you come across a Hebrew root, it's basically going to boil down to three letters, three consonants. Okay? But what the writers of the Old Testament often do is they have what's called word play. The fancy term is metathesis. Okay? But word play is used in a poetic expression to catch the attention of the reader. So we often miss this because we're reading English translations. But in Isaiah 61, 3, there's a metathesis, a word play on the word ashes and the word turban. Very interesting. One is pa'er and the other one is affair. And when you read along, he says, I'm going to give them pa'er instead of affair, right? And it's a word play. It's meant to catch our attention. The Lord is going to give us a beautiful turban instead of ashes. And the turban, the priestly turban, had a gold plate on it with a blue kind of linen wrap. And it said, Kadosh le Yahweh, holy belonging to the Lord. That's our new identity. Amen? The turban is a thing of beauty. It's a thing of calling. It's a thing of placement. Isaiah 61.3 says, talking about the exchange of the garment of praise in the place of the spirit of fainting and failing. The spirit of fainting. This is the same phrase in Hebrew as Isaiah 42.3. Would you like to look there just really quick? Isaiah 42.3. You getting anything out of this? I used to preach like I had a giant bonfire in my chest. 
But now I kind of kind of like just um, explaining things. Isaiah 42, verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. The, the phrase here, faintly burning wick, is the same phrase as the spirit of fainting in Isaiah 61. The idea is God's going to give you a garment, and this is why it's important to learn how to worship. It's important to learn to express your love for God in public as well as in private in a demonstrative way using all your faculties, your mind, your voice, your heart, your hands, your knees, your feet, giving full expression of worship unto God because that will stop the spirit of failing in your life. God reminds us tonight to worship him no matter what. Take the time to worship. Worship in church with your whole heart. Worship in your car. Worship everywhere. Give God glory. This dimly burning wick, this spirit of failing... He says he will not extinguish. Remember that just when you're about to lose your light, you're about to lose your way, you're about to fail, put on the garment of praise and begin to worship Almighty God. Those weak and oppressed and held captive by sin on the verge of extinction, he will rescue. Why? Should we be filled with the Holy Spirit? The passage in Luke says Jesus was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. He came back from this terrible trial in the wilderness of 40 days, full of the Spirit. And then he reads about his calling. He identifies that Isaiah is talking about his life and ministry. And he declares it and he says, This day... This scripture is fulfilled in your ears. This is what I'm called to do. This is my manifesto. I love that. Why should we be filled with the Spirit? One, so that we can know who we are in Jesus. Amen. Why stand as anointed and sent servants of God? Remember those first two verbs, anointed and sent. Is the... The presence of the Lord, is it only meant to just make us feel good? Is it only meant to kind of give you a buzz in church? Is it only meant to replace some drug high? No. It's meant to commission us. Is it only meant to give us an ecstatic experience? No. The calling and commission that Jesus experienced, the anointing of the Spirit has a larger purpose. And so I'm going to close with these seven things. Isaiah 61 infinitives. There are seven infinitives in this passage in the Hebrew text. But you can get them. To encourage. What's the Spirit of God for? To encourage. 
If you want to, sense the presence of God in your life, become an encourager. Walk around people and encourage them. Find something good to say to them and for them. It will help you. You will experience more of the anointing and commissioning of God. The Isaiah 61, filled with the Spirit experience, is also to help people. This is another infinitive. And also to decree, to announce, to call. These are kingly declarations. The anointing of the Spirit comes upon us so that in the opportune moment when the Spirit of God is flowing in our hearts, we can make kingly declarations about the presence of the Spirit and the joy and the healing and the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We make kingly declarations. We stop. We quench the mouths of the lions. We, we tell the demons, be silent, be muzzled, and come out. And Jesus said, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then you know the kingdom of God has come. Then we are all to comfort and to console. I love this. The word comfort is the same root as in Isaiah 40 where he says, comfort, comfort my people. And it has automatopoeia in it. You know what automatopoeia is? I know the English teachers know what it is. You know, and a word that sounds like something else, right? So in Isaiah 41, he says, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Amar. Elohechem. Nachamu, nachamu. Nachamu, nachamu, ami. What does that sound like to you? It's, and I love what Dr. Ingrid Farrow called it. She called it, it's like comforting a baby. Nachamu, nachamu. That's what the Lord is doing for us. That's what we should do for each other. Amen? We should comfort people. And he talks about another infinitive to strengthen, to give, to reveal, to beautify. Those are all the infinitives. May the Lord help us. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, Receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.